This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Hi, and welcome back to Mainspring Family Wellness. We are so happy today to have with us Nick Stanley from Test Prep Gurus. He is a published author, president and CEO of Test Prep Gurus with seven locations in Orange and Los Angeles County. And he's here today to talk with us about how to manage and support test anxiety with our teens. Hi, Nick. Hello. So could you tell us a little briefly about how you got started in the test prep business? Yes. So I was in graduate school and there was a professor that had a idea. He wanted to show that the SAT and the ACT by association were not the best tools to choose who get uh, who's accepted into the, the country's top colleges. And I thought that was a project I, I could get on board with. It sounded uh, interesting and, and something that I believed in. And so as part of the research project, he had a group of us study for the exam to see if we could raise our scores. Because the first step was to sort of prove that it was not this laser-focused intelligence test like the testing agencies at that time were, were pushing. Mm-hmm. And study for the exam for the better part of a year uh, through that process ended up earning a, a perfect score on the SAT. Wow. And that led to a number of unexpected things. But it, this was, I was in, I was at the Claremont Colleges and and people in the community uh, heard about this and then asked me to start working with their kids. And, and what I uncovered there was all kinds of anxiety and uh, insane pressures on these kids. And it's only it's only become more intense mm-hmm. uh, since then. And, and that a lot of the way that students were preparing for those tests was ramping up the stress. Mm. And what I just very organically uh, figured out was that by just approaching the exams in a little bit of a different way, uh, thinking of it more as a, a game and a stepping stone to get where you want to go and trying to take that idea away from students that it was a judgment on who they were or what they were capable of. Uh, and by the way, there's no data to support that the tests do measure someone's potential or capacity. Uh, they're really just useful in that it's standardized and everyone takes the same exam. Mm-hmm. That's that's the value in mm-hmm. the test. Uh, and and. And we we really found by approaching it that way, students had a much better experience, and they did a lot better on the exam. So it was a it was really a win win that so, way. So Nick, when you were saying earlier about how uh, students were ramping up and causing their own stress for for uh, the test, what kind of things did they do that would key them up to become more anxious in their studying? I think a lot of it was self inflicted, and and and. Parents and students worried about the idea that they had a lot to lose by not doing well so on the exams. So more of their cognitions, like their thoughts, what they were thinking about themselves then? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think it's a much more productive and healthier way to think about it in that with, with these exams, I mean, 
we've got more than 2000 colleges across the country there there uh there's a perception that kids won't get into college or into a good college if they if they so desire um there is a spot for everybody out there though is the is the reality of it and so i think when students start to apply to those more selective schools it's good to remember that they're choosing to do that and that doing well on these exams rather than losing something by not doing well, it's much more productive to think about it as if I if I do well, some other doors will open up for me, mm. whether those are scholarship doors or admission to some of those more selective schools that, again, they're electing to choose to apply to those schools. And all of that leads to being more successful in the process and having a better mental health experience as you as you move through it. Mm-hmm. So what what do you suggest for kids that aren't good test takers that really struggle and get anxious. And I know a lot of kids just kind of shut down right before they're going to take a standardized exam. So what suggestions do you have for them to prepare? Great question. (laughs) There's a lot they can do to prepare. So the, the big misperception out there is that, again, it's an intelligence test Mm -hmm. and that if you're not naturally good at it, that, there's no way to change that. And and the the actual the reality of what the exams measure is that it's a it's a it's a content based exam. I mean, they're looking at fundamental math and verbal skills. And if you put in some hard work and some time and energy and study the content that's uh, assessed on the exams, your score will improve. No matter where that starting point is, mm. you're going to be able to move that that score up. And and I will say for all the issues that there are with the SAT and the ACT, they do reward hard work. And, and that's something that I think is a is a positive uh, with those tests and a, and a positive message for our kids today, uh, because I think going through these exams, going through the college admissions process in general, the more we can try to make it about the big picture and less about how am I going to do on this exact exam or am I going to get into X or Y school and make it one of how can I develop as a person, develop new skills by going through this process, then uh, just good things start to happen. You're mm-hmm. going to see kids that um, are they're defining success in their own way which incidentally leads to higher scores, leading leads to getting into some of those tougher schools that are to, to get into um, because that anxiety doesn't creep in. It doesn't cripple their performance. Um, so yeah. maybe with the knowledge that they can keep taking the test until they improve their score, that's... Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and we've got score choice today. So if a student doesn't do well on exam, they don't have to send that to colleges, which mm-hmm. takes some of that pressure on any given day off of them. You know, I was wondering about parents. Yeah. And so I myself just, you know, graduated uh, a high schooler schooler last year, and, and then now she's off to college. And uh, there are so many parents that, you know, are very immersed in the admissions process, in the testing. What is the advice that you have for parents and how does that also support our kids or also hinder when they're too involved or over-involved? I was kind of curious to hear mm. your thoughts on that. Well, let's start with the hindering. Okay. Because there there is quite a bit of that. I think I understand as a parent where mothers and fathers are coming from when they when they get 
too involved with their kids because they feel like there's a lot on the line and they don't want to leave anything to chance. And so they're pushing that process through for their son or daughter. I think, though, it misses the point of the process a little bit and that it's a chance for that kid to have to step up and start to do things for themselves. I mean, that again, if we if we go if we step back and go and focus on personal growth and the big picture that can help parents to make better decisions to, to feel a little less pressure to do it all for the student. Um, I mean, and, and there are some pretty extreme examples, whether yes, that's... Yes, we've had some in Orange County, haven't we? I'm sure you've got a lot to say about that, Nick. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it's indicative of how much people have lost their way mm-hmm. and are missing the point of what this is all about. It's actually led to more families calling us and reaching out to us to ask about uh, this is, I mean, really? People people did that? People were dropping off duffel bags full of $100,000 in cash to coaches and and then wanting to learn more about the process and going, what? Well, I mean, really the not. The process of dropping off duffel <laughs> right. bags? Or yes. How exactly yes. do you do that? Right. <laughs> Big bills? Right. Small bills? No. Right. Uh, I mean, it made a lot of people curious when they heard these these crazy scandal stories and they said oh the the pressure is even it's even bigger than i imagined if anyone would do something like that help me understand what's going on um and so it's actually led to a lot of good conversations with us in the in the community um to try to help put this put all of it in perspective and 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 teach more people how to go about it the the proper way and still be successful in Mm -hmm. this in this process what did, what did you two think of the scandal? <laughs> well, I, oh, I, I found it to be shocking mm. um, and very sad yeah. as as a parent and as a, a therapist. Um, mm. But in particular, as a parent, that um, that a parent would think I have to go to this kind of extreme to get my child into a college. This child is never going to experience what it's like to get somewhere on their own merit. Mm. Right. And really um, feel inner motivated because then basically money talks. It's all about how much money you have in order to open what kind of door versus I belong here because I worked really hard for that. Yes. Well, I also think it kind of signifies this message that failure is unacceptable. And we will, as parents... Um, go to great lengths to ensure that there aren't any failures. I think that's so sad. I, I mean, obviously, I think the the positive thing about this happening is I think it's really kind of made people scratch their heads. And obviously, we're doing something wrong here. <laughs> we need right. to back off a little. I hope that's the message that people are receiving from this negative behavior. Right. I mean, it's obviously deplorable mm-hmm. behavior and... And not only were they sending bad messages to their kids, but they were stealing spots from other right. students that right. had yes. worked really hard right. and deserved yes. Absolutely. those spots. Yeah. yeah, and condoning cheating and lying and stealing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but I like I like what you're getting at in that to try to pull something positive out of out of those bad actions from from a number of bad actors there, what we can all learn from it is that 
we as parents, we need to be very cognizant of the messages, mm. the, the implied messages we're sending to our children based on the actions we take, mm-hmm. especially in pressure situations like this. So if you're going to go pay someone off to help some your your kid cheat on the SAT or the AC or change their answers so they get a higher score, there's a there's a message there, yes, that that money can fix everything. Mm-hmm. That you're not good enough on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a, a plethora of negative messages associated with that. And I think on a on a smaller, more normalized level, there also though when we when we take control of the process away from the student, just with their applications or making those, sending those emails to different admissions departments or whatever, uh, reaching out to some, to a teacher for a letter of recommendation. When we start doing all that for them, it's that's obviously a much, much smaller level, but there is an implied message there um, that might not be the best one for that student. So that is a something positive we can, mm-hmm. hopefully other people will, will take away from this. Um, Bigger picture, uh, yeah. Don't do anything unethical or uh, that you know is obviously wrong when you're when you're moving through this uh, admissions process. Yeah, and I think also just trusting the process. I mean, our kids are going to fail; they're going to get rejected. But that's those are lessons that you know, the life lessons that you have to learn at at an early age. Well, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I hear a lot from admissions officers that where. They, they can tell that a parent is writing emails on behalf of mm. students. I mean, they say it's it's really common. Uh, they're like, but it's not in the voice of a teenager. It's obvious someone else is doing it. People have, they've even called on the phone and they'll pretend to be a, uh, the student. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that, I do think it comes from a good place from a parent that just wants the best for their kid, but... That's not going to help that kid. Yeah. It's also long-term. a really anxious place, right? Because mm. they're so scared Absolutely. of what the future holds for their child. Right, mm. right. Now, in contrast to that, I there's a book I really like called Anti Fragile, which is on this the idea of of there are there whether it's people or structures or markets that are are fragile where if there's stress on that thing it's going to it's going to break it's going to uh, have problems and then the opposite of that would be anti-fragile where stressors can make something stronger and an example of that i, th- I think it can absolutely be applied to college admissions where if we acknowledge, hey, we're so this is a my son or daughter is going to be making their first major adult decision. As parents, we have to pay for it, so there's a big financial stress. The student is is at that age where they're breaking away from their parents. They're oftentimes moving out for the first time, so there's a massive emotional stress. Then you've got all these societal pressures uh, in in all kinds of the the different forms that they take, and. It's kind of a perfect storm in terms of creating anxiety and, and stress on the family. But I think if we step into it, if the family unit steps into it at the beginning saying, eyes wide open, we know this is there are going to be some challenges. But if we do this together and focus on the right things, we'll actually come out stronger as a family, stronger as individuals as a result of doing it together and and working through these things, uh, then again we're we're we've backed out and we're on the we're on the big picture. Now you have a student that's focusing on who am I, where do I want to go in this world, in this life, and then what colleges might help me get there, rather than worrying on am I going to get into 
Brown or am I going to get into USC and and then this, it's kind of this win lose proposition, um, mm-hmm. which I think when you get into the once you're in the win lose proposition, even if you get in, you oftentimes miss the best parts of this experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we if we if we back out and get to that to that big picture, then it's about personal growth and and good things happen. Um, and 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 again, those selective colleges as a as a side note. They really respond to students that have a strong sense of self and know what they can add to a university, what they want to go uh, do in this world. Though they tend to be able to write personal statements that that really pop out and and express who they are. And so again, it'll help you be more successful in the process, and you'll focus on the right things, mm-hmm. better mental health, and more personal growth. So what if, what about the situations when you might have an issue that's bigger than just you know, anxiety towards the test or college admissions? You know, what if there's something deeper going on? How do you handle those situations? We have certainly seen some some very tough situations over the years. There, I've seen, uh, there, was, a, there was a great example, this uh, girl from a couple years ago, local Orange County student, and she was actually the the uh, class president and and had everything going for her on the surface. And to get off on a on a sidetrack here, I feel like so many teenagers today, and 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 it's all over the place, but it seems really magnified in mm-hmm. where we live. They feel a pressure to be perfect and excellent in everything they do. I mean, on the top club soccer team and getting straight A's and excelling as a musician with private lessons for that. And that there is, there's a real feeling that they aren't allowed to fail Mm -hmm. at anything. I'm, I coach my son's soccer team and uh and this mix of six and seven year olds and uh and a six-year-old boy said to me the other day he said he said yeah this is this is good i think i found my sport (laughs) (laughs) and that seems indicative of a of a culture where a a kid thinks oh i got to figure out what i'm good at and run with that one thing Mm. um and i think i think we could all of us together could can help these kids by letting them know that failure is okay. And oftentimes that long-term success, failure is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. I was on a a panel of speakers a few months ago, and there was a great question from the audience. And so there's a mix of, of speakers, authors, business owners, athletes, Olympic athletes. And they asked about failing along the way. And everyone had fantastic failure stories mm-hmm. that led them to their successes. But oftentimes the the perceived narrative is just that someone was excellent at something and they just kept getting more and more excellent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's an important message for our kids today. And back to your original question with students and when there are deeper underlying issues, I think that message that that it's okay if you're not good at these tests and it's not going well, but there are, with, with anything, setting a plan and then working hard to execute that plan in order to achieve long-term goals, those are good habits. 
uh, to form no matter what happens. And there will be some failures along the way, but Mm -hmm. perseverance, resilience, sticking with something. Uh, eventually you start to you start to chip away at it and break through and have and have some success. But Nick, what are yeah. some of the tips that you mm. offer to the kids about managing their stress or anxiety prior to the test? Mm. Because a yeah. lot of what I'm hearing you today yeah. talk about is exposure, right? Like the more you actually put time to practice, you're going to fail, but then you get more accustomed to um, taking tests then it's going to help to reduce your anxiety. That's one thing, right? Like sure. If this, especially if you're prone to feeling really anxious in test taking, right. you have to take more tests. Right? Yeah. That's what I would imagine as a part of like exposing yourself to the stressor. Absolutely. Right? But what are some other tips that people can do to also help manage their anxiety? There's one I really like, which is this uh, actually came out of some research at Harvard, and it's really simple. It's... Uh, this idea of I am excited and started out with these small experiments where they actually, they, they wanted to put participants in stress inducing situations. So they would have uh, people that had volunteered for an experiment. They didn't know what it was and they would make them stand up and sing in front of a room full of strangers. They knew this would be very difficult and half the participants they had them say, just very simply, I'm excited to sing this song to you before they'd go and, and sing it, even though they didn't want to do it. They measured octave tone and pitch with software and saw a, a nearly a 20% improvement, again, along octave tone and pitch, simply by saying, I'm excited to sing this song. And so they they thought they, because they were trying to reframe anxiety was the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole idea and, and measure how that could be successful. And as they dug more into it, they actually, and it came across my desk because they started using uh, standardized math sections as, as part of this and saw that simply by switching that anxiety, essentially it's hard to move from anxiety to calm. And oftentimes for adults, when we see a, a teenager with anxiety, the, the advice is to calm down, mm. which never works. Mm-hmm. And sometimes makes it worse because somebody can't calm down. And so that feels like something's even more wrong and the anxiety increases. But physiologically, the state of excitement is very similar to anxiety. And it's easier to make that jump. And and then as they started to look into this, a lot of professional athletes are really good at making that specific uh, leap. And what we have found with the testing specifically, if a student will spend two to five minutes writing freehand, just the, the pencil never stops moving on the paper about all the things that could go well as a result of doing well in that performance situation. In this case, it happens to be an ACT exam. They, they reframe that anxiety as excitement and they do better as a result. Um, mm-hmm. And we're able to run our own little experiments with all the the kids we have taking practice exams every weekend and we've seen this this really really works and it's a it's a simple exercise that anyone can do in just a few minutes so that's so what that's does a that winner. look like like i'm excited to think about taking this test or how does it look? Well, well again i just and and just letting letting the mind go but but as a result of doing well all the good things that could happen Okay, so then yeah. they start to write out what they imagine would be the positive outcomes. Right, right, which is going to be a little different for everybody. Right. But, yeah. Um, 
Another good one, I think, uh, for parents in particular, and and this is uh, this is a real winner. I hear back from a lot of moms in particular on this one, is right before you're going to have a stressful conversation with your son or daughter, is to take a moment by yourself, close your eyes, and picture when your son or daughter was just three years old, and really focus on that. And and this comes out of uh, family a family family therapy work where that that age is just burned into your uh, into your cortex there as a as a parent because you were the center of their world at that time in their life and just by taking 30 seconds to think about it remember it then go walk into the room and have that challenging conversation all those nonverbal cues that you're that that are always going on in any sort of communication, they all indicate something different to that student. It changes the tone of the conversation. Suddenly, things move in a more positive direction, and and that is one that I have heard. I've just I hear back from parents all the time about that one, as as it uh, it really just helps bridge some of those those gaps. Yeah, it's um, a nice reset. Yeah. Going back to our earlier discussion about uh, colleges, I was curious. What's your advice with uh, how many colleges people should apply to? Mm. Because when I think about, you know, our time when when you're younger than us, but when we were applying, I mean, I probably only applied to maybe four. Yeah, I think I applied to two or three. Yeah. Yeah. But now, I mean, I hear other people at 21 schools, 17 Mm -hmm. schools, 11 schools, and that just sounds, well, one, exorbitant in terms of how much, you know, the fees are per application for a lot of yep. students, unless you're, you know, applying just to the UCs or Cal States. But I, I was just curious, what are your thoughts mm. on that? Sure. There's no one right number that that's different for each student. I mean, there are some that where three schools might still make sense. And the, although not very many kids where that would be the the best choice and and I think on the on the high end with some of those numbers you mentioned it's possible that might make sense uh, but I think I think as soon as we start to hear 20 or higher we're, we're definitely getting into far too many um, the bigger principle at work there is there should be several safety schools on their list where you you go okay I've got an extremely high likelihood that I will get into that school. And you can look these things up with any given school based on their the normal GPA and standardized test score of their admitted students. Then we should have a group of schools that are where you're right in the middle and you go, that's probably a 50-50, and we'd call those target schools. And then another group of schools that are going to be your reach schools that you probably don't have a great chance to get into. I mean, if we start and if we look at something like Ivy League schools, nobody has a great chance to get into those schools. Those are that's a reach school for every single student, no matter what their situation is. Um, And so there should be a balance of of those three buckets of schools. Mm -hmm. And so for some students, that might be two of each. For others, that might be three of each. For others, that might be four of each. And it really just depends on the student and and their exact situation but I think that's that's that'd be the the range that makes sense and and definitely have your multiple options in those three different buckets it's good advice and Nick any final thoughts for students out there in Orange County and their parents 
Take a deep breath. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Somehow, in the end, it will all come together. But plan early. It'll be easier as it comes together if you do that. Great. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you. That's great advice. And thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Mm-hmm.